I'd like to say thank you to all the children who participated. Oh man, what a joy to see your faces and hear your voices and to know that the Holy Spirit is upon you and working in you. In a season with so much going on, it is good to have children in our community, bringing some levity to our lives and reminding us of what it looks like to trust in the Father's care. So I'm going to pray for us uh, before we dive into the scriptures this morning. Father, thank you that you call all of us to a certain sort of childlike trust, knowing that your providential goodness cares for us in ways that we can't even fathom. So we pray that you remind us of that again this morning, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. This Pentecost Sunday, we gather, many of us gather, with heavy hearts over the events of the past week. The note of joyful celebration that is the right note for Pentecost has been pierced with the pain of injustice and unrest and violence. And I've been asking myself in recent days, how do we celebrate Pentecost without being trite? being honest about all the devastation going on around us, and yet still being a people who have been given good news to proclaim. God with us on the day of Pentecost became God within us, and that where sin abounds, and there's lots of it abounding right now, grace abounds still all the more. And so this morning, we gather in the midst of a tumultuous time, to talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. We gather to talk about the one who is the Lord and the giver of life, the one whose work is not confined to a special people group or is not confined to just one period and stage of history, but the person whose work is widespread, encompassing all of God's mighty works and mighty acts, the Magnolia Dei. In the first days of creation, it was the Spirit of God who hovered over the face of the waters, quickening life in all its exquisite variety. In the building of the tabernacle, it was the Spirit of God who inspired the gifts of creativity and generosity amongst architects and artists and metal workers so that they could adorn God's house with beauty. The Spirit went on in the Old Testament to anoint kings to lead and prophets to speak and musicians to compose so that the people of God would be filled with glory and blessing and music and righteousness and reflect all of that to the world. In the first days of the new creation, the spirit who hovered over the waters hovered over Mary's womb, quickening the mystery of human life. In the building of the church, it's the spirit who inspires gifts of mercy and generosity and hospitality and prophecy and service, and exhortation, and leadership, and the list goes on. The Spirit of God adorning the people of God with everything they need for a life of godliness, and unity, and witness in the world. It's the Spirit of God who has gone in in every generation to appoint men and women of every race and nation, of every social class and political persuasion, of every nook and cranny of the world, 
The Holy Spirit has anointed men and women to be showered with little droplets of grace, to be the salt and light and the presence of God in the world. See, Pentecost is about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. And his work is not confined to just a small little group of people. It's not confined to just one epoch of history. It is widespread, encompassing all of God's mighty works and mighty acts. And that's why we gather this morning. Pentecost draws particular attention to the events of Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. The language of filling is used three times in that story, twice at the beginning and one at the end. Verse 1 and following, when the day of Pentecost arrived, Luke tells us, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It filled the entire house. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit filled with the third person of the Holy Trinity, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then at the end of the passage in verse 13, when people are questioning this really suspect behavior that comes as a result of being filled with the Spirit, there's a mocking voice that says, oh, they're just filled with new wine. And here I cannot help but think of Jesus' miracle at the wedding of Cana. The best wine that Jesus has to offer has been saved for last, the gift and the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, one of the marvelous things about the day of Pentecost with this filling of the church is that it's the day when the Trinitarian life of God comes to full revelation and the Trinitarian salvation of God comes to full expression. That's why in the church calendar, you celebrate the Pentecost Sunday and the very next Sunday is Trinity Sunday. Because on Pentecost, the followers of Jesus are filled with the fullness of the Trinitarian life. God with us becomes God within us. And this fact is so marvelous that Jesus himself told his disciples before he ever died, before he ever rose again, before he ever ascended to heaven, he says to them, John chapter 16, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is better for you that I go away. Why? For if I go, then I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. If we take Jesus at his word, that it is really better for him to go so that we may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then we have to ask, who is the Holy Spirit? And it's our gospel reading this morning, John chapter 14 where Jesus himself gives us two poignant answers to this question. He says, the spirit is the comforter, the paraclete, and the spirit is the truth teller, the spirit of truth. It seems to me that both are so needed in our lives and in the life of our nation right now. We need comfort and we need truth telling. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Jesus says, John 14, verse 16, I will ask the father, And he will give you another helper. That's the comforter word, paraclete, to be with you forever. 
And then verse 26, the Holy Spirit, the helper whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus' chosen name for the Spirit in this passage is the paraclete. And if you look at Gospel chapter four, uh, John chapter 14, you'll notice that Jesus is talking about a series of indwellings in this passage. He talks about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about his own indwelling as the Son of God, making his home and his believers. And then he talks about the Father coming to indwell believers. And then after that, he talks about the Holy Spirit again. So in this passage, Jesus is unpacking a Trinitarian indwelling of the people of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the bookends of that indwelling are the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's as if Jesus is saying, the way in which the fullness of the Trinitarian life is going to be experienced in your life is by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' chosen name for this person is the paraclete. Now, lots of people translate this in different ways. Some call it the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the encourager, the comforter. The Greek word is parakletos. Para, which means alongside, and kletos, which means called. So the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, the one who is called to come alongside. While it seems that Jesus has created a new word here in the Greek language for the Holy Spirit, there are many Greek cognates, and those cognates seem to suggest that the paraclete is someone who is called alongside to help, but particularly in situations that are critical. Especially in critical situations, the Holy Spirit is called alongside to help. The one who comes to comfort and encourage when it is most needed. And I think this is ultimately what Jesus had in mind when in that great second beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who mourn a critical moment when it's needed. For they shall be comforted. It's the same root word that Jesus uses in John chapter 14. Blessed are those who mourn, says Jesus, for they shall experience the special presence, the special coming alongsideness, the special ministry of the paraclete, the comforter. Like I said, it's no mistake, I think, that this beatitude is number two in line right at the beginning of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount. It's as if Jesus knows that those who have encountered him and entered the kingdom of God and and been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows that those people, those people especially, are going to develop an acute sensitivity to the brokenness and the fallenness and the pain of the world. They're going to have a lot of reason to mourn. It's this, this paradox of the Christian life. Paul talks about it as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's, it's those who have truly encountered Jesus and know all that human life is designed and meant and can be, who will be most brokenhearted over the ways the world actually is. The more holistic our vision of the kingdom, the more wholehearted our mourning and our grief. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we have a lot of grief. 
like I said, the note of joyful celebration has been pierced by the pain of injustice and unrest and violence. We cannot undo what has been done this week. And we cannot unsee what we have seen this week. So the question I've been asking is how do we as spirit filled followers of Jesus respond to all that has gone out? Our beloved Bishop Todd Hunter joined with a few other bishops this week, and he wrote a letter to the churches under his care. And the letter begins like this. He says, George Floyd was made in the image of God, and as such is a person of utmost value. What happened to George is an affront to God because George's status as an image bearer was not respected. And Bishop Todd and his fellow bishops continue. He was treated in a way that denied his basic humanity. And so our lament is very real, but our lament is not limited to George and his family. We mourn. Think of Jesus' words, blessed are those who mourn. We mourn alongside the wider black community for whom this tragedy awakens memories of their own traumas and the larger history of systemic oppression that still plagues this country, end quote. Blessed are those who mourn, says Jesus, for they shall experience the special alongsideness and presence of the paraclete, the comforter. How does the spirit-filled Church of Jesus Christ begin to respond to all that's going on. Well, there's lots of things we need to do, but we've got to begin with mourning. We do not explain away. We do not lash out. We certainly do not remain silent, but we mourn. We grieve. We lament. And we weep with those who weep, knowing that God the third person of the Holy Trinity is the one who is, comes alongside those who are weeping and brings words of comfort and encouragement. I will ask the Father, says Jesus, and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> Comfort your broken and your hurting and your confused and your mourning world. Jesus goes on to teach us that the comforter will comfort the brokenhearted by teaching us, he says, all things that Jesus has said. He will bring to remembrance the person and the work and the words and the gentleness and the redemptive power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the spirit will be a truth teller who tells us about Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 16. When the spirit of truth, when the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into the truth, into the truth about God, into the truth about yourself, into the truth about the world, into the truth about other people. He will guide you into the truth, says Jesus. For, Jesus says, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will glorify me, says Jesus, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. And then Jesus reminds us, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I, what I say 
the spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the picture here that Jesus is giving us that I want us to reflect on on this this Pentecost Sunday is a picture of an inner Trinitarian conversation. The father speaks to the son and the son only speaks what he hears the father saying. And then the son speaks to the spirit and the spirit only speaks what he hears the son saying. So just as Jesus' whole ministry is defined by this orientation towards the love and the goodness and the graciousness and the justice of the father, so the spirit's whole ministry is defined by an unwavering orientation towards the goodness and the grace and the kingdom and the lordship and the beauty of the son of Jesus Christ. And the particular ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world, the particular ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church, the particular ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine is to mediate to us the truth and the life of Jesus, drawing us into his kingdom power, helping us to experience his victory over the principalities and the powers that seek to rule and cause death and destruction and division in our world. The Spirit has come, my dear brothers and sisters, so that we may be more like Jesus, so that we may have the mind of Christ. The Spirit of, has come, my brothers and sisters, so that our feelings may be a feeling with Jesus Christ, so that our attitudes may be marked by the character of Jesus Christ, so that our relationships would, would bear the fragrance of Christ so that the way that we respond to the pain and the brokenness and the injustice of the world would be marked by the way that Jesus Christ responded to it. The Spirit has come to unite all people and all things in Christ under his lordship, his kingdom of glory and grace. The Spirit has come to heal old wounds and very open wounds and bring new life. The spirit has come to dispel lies and speak truth. The spirit has come to convict the world of sin and injustice and unrighteousness and to lead us in paths of righteousness and mercy for his namesake. The spirit has come to take away any arrogance or pride or self-righteousness or hatred that has infected our hearts and to break down the walls that separate us. The Spirit has come to unite us in love and comfort us amidst our struggles and our confusion. The Spirit has come to draw people from every race and every nation so that one day with one voice, we would gather around the throne of the Lamb who was slain and we would sing worthy. Worthy is the lamb who shed his blood to buy one people for himself, ransomed from every tribe and tongue and nation, a kingdom of priests to the Lord our God. That's why the spirit has come. That's what the spirit is on about in our times. And that's why it's such a joy to gather together on this Pentecost Sunday, Although we feel burdens, although we feel pain, we know that where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. The Spirit has come. The Spirit is at work. And in the end, it is the Spirit who will have the final word 
on our nation, on our lives, on our church, and on the entire world. Because the Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. And there is no deeper reality. Come, Holy Spirit, come. As we prayed at the beginning of our service. Almighty God, on this day, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. You poured out this gift anew, that by the preaching of your gospel, your salvation may reach the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.